Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Keith Townsend. Welcome to another sponsored episode of the Greybeards on Storage podcast, a show where we get Greybeards bloggers together with storage assistant vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. Storage episode was recorded on March 16th, 2021. We have with us here today Moshe Tweedo, CTO and co-founder of PlyOps. So Moshe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what PlyOps is up to? Hi, Ray. It's great to be here. Um, I'm the CTO and co-founder of PlyOps, as I said. Before that, I worked for around eight years uh, for Samsung in the Advanced uh, Flash Solution Lab here in Israel. We developed uh, various APs for uh, Samsung uh, flash-based portfolio, including error correction codes, uh, compression algorithms, uh, FTA algorithms, etc. And this is my, my storage-related background. And uh, I founded PlyOps with uh, Uri Beitler, who also works with me at Samsung about uh, three and a half years ago. And uh, our product uh, is storage controller. And basically, we started uh, from our key technology is the highly efficient key value uh, store accelerated by hardware that has, that has very good uh, performance characteristics uh, all of, uh, if we, from, from the, all, all, all the important metrics, that is read amplification, route amplification, space amplification, DDR consumption, all of those, all of those uh, metrics are very, very good in our implementation. And then we evolve further. So you, you mentioned that it's a, it's a key value store solution. Um, so how does that play out in the storage space? I mean, because, I mean, storage, we've got, you know, blocks or file kinds of solutions. We've got SSDs, obviously, and just drives and stuff. But they don't speak key value kinds of storage. Um, protocols of if, if, if a key value protocol exists it's, it's a great question and indeed uh, beside uh, uh, the core technology in our product is a key value engine uh, but as you said in order to be able to have to have easy integration into existing uh, systems with, with no need to change anything in the application we expose beside the, the, the native key value API that we have, we also expose a, a, the conventional block API, and uh, and under the hood we use the the key value engine. The the reason that uh, we can leverage the the key value engine also for the block API is because we uh, we do transparent compression, and after compression you get a variable size LBAs. Uh, so if you can uh, handle those very efficiently, you can get a high performance with comp- uh, high comp- uh, performance storage with compression. And uh, b- beside that, we also do integration into various applications at the at the storage engine level. So, and we can we can elaborate on different aspects as you as you as you wish. Yeah. So, so you mentioned compression. So you're doing um, compression on this PlyOps. So the PlyOps is effectively a, a storage controller board that plugs into the PCI interface. Is that how this works? Yes, exactly. And so it talks to storage behind it or it talks to storage that might be on the PCIe bus as well? Or 
it's a dual mode. The mode one is called inline, where we expose uh, the PCIe lanes toward the SSDs, uh, NVMe SSDs in that case, and uh, control them directly. Uh, and we have the other mode, accelerator mode, where we are sidecar accelerator, and they have software component uh, in, in the host that do the some sort of filter driver that collaborate that orchestrate the entire operation. Uh, and so the, the actual access to the SSDs is done from the host uh, side, but our, our card provides acceleration services, uh, mainly uh, the indexing itself, uh, the key value that I mentioned, the, the key value index, the compression, erasure coding, uh, and in similar stuff. Oh, so this is pretty interesting. I, I get the, I get the technology of accelerating a key value store. I get the ability of kind of a, a off processor car that can do that. But I'm I'm missing like the application of it. Where would we see the benefits of key value store acceleration, encryption, compression, etc in application performance or specific use cases. So are you talking about our key value API part or the block API? Okay. So uh, we have our uh, native key value API, which is, uh, com is compatible, uh, almost compatible with all the functionality of RocksDB uh, API, which is very popular storage engine. So all each, each database, each application that already use uh, RocksDB as a backend storage engine can be plagued, can be integrated into our with our system transparently or very, very similar to transparently. We just need to recompile uh, with our library instead of conventional uh, RocksDB library. And uh, for other for other applications. We are working on on, uh, on doing this type of integration ourselves. So one example is is Redis. Uh, Redis on Flash. I'm talking about Redis. Redis is in-memory database, uh, but it has also Redis on Flash version. Uh, it's a proprietary version by Redis Labs, uh, and that version uh, uses RocksDB as it as its storage engine. Uh, we it, it was a matter of about two hours of work for us to integrate our solution, our key value store, storage engine uh, into Redis and Flash, and we demonstrated a, a huge gain over conventional uh, Redis and Flash. Basically, we can show the DRM-like DRM performance for a wide range of heat ratio numbers with our solution, while conventional Redis and Flash when combined with, convention, with uh, conventional SSDs with uh, uh, RocksDB, uh, it's very sensitive to the heat ratio. For higher heat ratios, uh, like 95%, 90%, things like that, it, 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 it operates well and uh, provides uh, adequate uh, performance. But as the heat ratio starts to de uh, deteriorate to 80% and, and below, performance also deteriorates sharply. With our solution, we can keep flat performance uh, up to down to 10% heat ratio. So this is one one example of integration. We've we've done similar integration to to more applications. Yeah, yeah. 
So when you say hit ratio, you're talking about host caching in that case. Um, so in Redis on, on Flash, natively has a hit rate that drops below 80%. Its performance degrades pretty seriously, but yes. with your system in between the two and, and using you know the, the key value store capability that you bring to the table, you're saying you can take the host hit ratio down to 10% and yeah. still perform very well? Yes, yes, and we have it uh, uh, already demonstrated that, uh, and there are several uh, hyperscalers that uh, has that have a huge Redis deployment, and they are interested uh, in that uh, capability because we basically offer them to to reduce the, the footprint of the Redis servers. So this is this is you know I would say key value activity is metadata intensive. So I mean you're looking for you know keys and 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 uh, the blocks that uh, associated with those keys and and you have a key store and and uh, you know a, a value store I guess um, is all that kind of laid out on the on the SSD by RocksDB already and you're just so I, I, I'm trying to think how you play this this uh, you know this technology advantage here. Yeah, because there's there's a couple of there's a couple of misses, mismatches for me mentally as I go to connect the dots. There's the hit ratio for in-memory databases. So the my ability to say that hey, you know what, this table that I want to uh, look up is already in memory and bam, I get all the advantages of a SAP HANA or Redis in-memory database. But to explain to kind of the layperson who's not familiar with how in-memory databases work, if I have to go to disk, I, I have the, that's called a miss or I didn't hit the in-memory database. This solution in between, between like the SSD or the spinning disk, doesn't matter if I have to go to SSD or spinning disk, really doesn't matter if I don't hit what's in memory, my database performance will drop tremendously. So what I'm hearing is that this improves the, uh, that, that even when I have to go to SSD, the, I'm getting the performance that I expect out of my in-memory database, even when that hit ratio drops down to 10%, which sounds rather amazing. Yes, indeed. And uh, there is a relatively uh, clear explanation for that. Uh, if you look at just uh, the SSDs for block performance, if you look at, uh, let's say, four uh, NVMe SSDs, they can provide uh, huge performance in terms of IOPS and, la and latencies are, are not so bad, not, not so bad there either. You can get around uh, 100 microsecond and something like that. If, if you if you increase the, the QD, you can go up to uh, 200 microseconds, something like that for very high QD. And uh, the requirements for systems like Redis, for example, is to be under one millisecond latency, including the, the network latency and everything. So if we just look at the at, at the disk itself and assume that for each uh, operation of get or put, for example, you just need to have one simple disk access, then uh, uh, everything should should work uh, about fine. The issue is with this middleware, the storage engine that lies in between. Those, this, this is everything. 
because those storage engines generate a very high read and write amplifications. So in for, in what you're saying is for every read that the host does or every write that the host does, the storage engine does multiple writes and multiple reads. Exactly. For RocksDB, for example, you can get an average between uh, 20 to 40 uh, of write amplification. Every amplification, everything is, you have um, hundreds of uh, tunable parameters. So I'm talking about, uh, uh, I'm talking here about the, 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 the common settings. Uh, you can get a, a read amplification uh, of, of a factor between uh, between four to to, uh, to ten, something like that. Uh, so, uh, and this is and this this layer in between uh, consumes a lot of the available bandwidth. Let's say this way, the available pure effective effective bandwidth of the of the SSD. So, in our case, as I said in the beginning of the talk. Well, uh, we have excellent trade-offs between read-write and space amplification. So we basically behave for key value. We behave as conventional disk behave for blocks. So uh, so we have the rich functionality of key value, similar to OxDB, but we are able to to expect performance that is similar to conventional block, which is which is high. Uh, this is this is where the gain comes from. Uh, and this is why we can have a very good performance. And, and, and now the measurement, and we never, and we did measurement for Redis, for example, uh, by the book. So we don't just try to to show off with the hero numbers with huge latency. We 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 drove the system until we get one millisecond latency, uh, and we compare that to conventional system uh, without our solution. So we both are functional Redis uh, servers in that in that specific example, uh, with under uh, one millisecond latency. In our case, we were able to extend the heat ratio down to ten percent uh, and get a, a performance that performance level which is similar to uh, to in remote. So as we kind of bring this higher level to folks working with databases specifically in-memory databases, the way that the other parts of the industry is brute forcing this, this challenge is to go with stuff like Intel's PMEM and PMEM from Micron or whomever to just increase the physical amount of storage that's in a given server or cluster uh, with the uh, higher latency but faster than storage uh, uh, PMEM memory. That still has limitations. If you have an incredible, if you have petabytes of storage that you want to access via Redis or SAP database, you can only go so far. So this seems like a pretty good shim to put in between those types of solutions and uh, your storage subsystem because essentially you're creating a more direct or block level interface to that storage to get you uh, similar performance, obviously you can't beat the speed of light or the speed of physics, but you're optimizing what's available in your storage subsystem. Yes. Except, except I would say it's not blocked, but it's key value, right? It's a right. key value access capability that's that's moved out to this board that's talking to the drives directly, right? Yes, and this is a key factor here because there are a lot of Manipulations on the of the on the data layout and organization and sorting and things like that that 
typically uh, uh, storage engine are doing in order to be able to persist data on uh, on disk. And uh, we actually leverage uh, our solution just to make those operations much more lighter. And uh, this is why why we can get again. By the way, you you, you, you talked about PMEM. We have on our board we we integrate some sort of uh, of uh, NVDIM. Uh, it's a combination of uh, of, D, of DDR uh, supercaps and uh, and SSD that we have on board, and uh, we expose. We use that for for various reasons. We, maybe we can talk about some of the use cases uh, later. But one of them uh, is that similar to, to, to PMR concept of NVMe, we, ex we expose several gigabytes uh, as a DRAM disk, actually. And, and by simple integration to transaction logs, for example, and uh, write buffers, we can, uh, we can re remove one of the maybe the number one performance bottleneck for writes in many database system, which is the transaction log part. This is generally this is the only part of, of, of writes that is done in foreground that affect directly the, the, the latency of the user. Uh, and we can improve that uh, significantly by exposing this DOM based uh, um, uh, drive. Memory drive kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the board. I mean, um, FPGAs, ARM processors, you know, ASICs, what sort of technology is sitting on this board? I mean, you mentioned the NVDIMs. I got that. Is there a lot of DRAM as well? Yes, there is DRAM. Uh, the NVDIM is actually, it, it's, we, we manufacture this uh, NVDIM uh, by, by the combination of the components that I mentioned before, DDR, uh, SuperCup, and, and SSD that we have on board. Besides that, we also have FPGA. And we are in, in those days we are uh, developing uh, the ASIC version uh, of the product. So next generation uh, will be uh, ASIC based. Okay, so it's not like a, an ARM multi-core processor sitting out there doing all this stuff. It's all FPGA at the moment, moving to ASIC at, at some point. Yes, the, the the angle that we took for computational storage uh, is. Again, everything we're trying to make our technology technology accessible uh, to users as as we as we can. This is why, by the way, we also we we, we build upon the key value engine. We have the the first penetration to market was with our block API, which is very easy to integrate. And the the, the earliest customers that we have are very. We exper experimented and tested and, and using the, the 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 block API. Now we're in the second phase of key value uh, POCs, and and what and if you look at the computational storage, which is a, a great uh, trend and initiative, the thing that that we found missing there is that you rely. You basically rely on the user to to, to utilize your uh, computational resources that you that you provide along the drive. Uh, but we we took the more gradual approach where we 
provide a well-defined value for position uh, that can be consumed relatively easily. For the block API, it's uh, seamless. For key value, it's, it's, and for more databases, it's, not, it's relatively easy. And we provide a specific value proposition to our customers, uh, while uh, later on, they can also utilize programmable uh, capabilities. So our ASIC will include uh, multi-cores, multi-arm cores inside that will be accessible by the user as well, uh, either through uh, the new initiative of NVMe the, uh, uh, for, for potential storage or, uh, or other, but we want, to, we want our product to be accessible from day one and provide value, specific value from day one. Okay, so spec, back to the specific value from day one. So you mentioned compression, you mentioned encryption, you mentioned erasure coding. Are those the sorts of things that you're bringing to the table for uh, pure block-oriented um, host access? Yes, this is part of the, of the thing that we provide. We also provide the, as I said, the, the DRAM-based uh, disk. Uh, we provide write atomicity. Uh, we provide... Um, smart caching for example um, we we detect automatically um, uh, journal parts let's say journal parts of the of write which are generally characterized by very high um, uh, write rate if you compare them to to the to conventional uh, lbas so we can, we detect this automatically and those writes rarely goes to 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 the disk for example, if you look at a double write of, of uh, InnoDB or a journaling of uh, certain file systems like uh, XFS or ext 4 and things like that, those are uh, automatically detected uh, by our uh, caching algorithm and, uh, uh, and, and, and enjoy higher performance because they never go down to the disk. They're absorbed in, inside our NVDIM, onboard NVDIM. So they are persistent, uh, but never goes to the to the disk itself, which improves performance. You gotta hold on here, Moshe. I mean, so at some point, those writes have to be destaged, right? I mean, you can't just sit there. No, no, no not at all. I give you an example. <laughs> I give you an example. Take take the double write of uh, of uh, of InnoDB, for example. It's a typically twenty megabyte of uh, of LBA region, and for each LBA that is written to the main storage, to the table space, the same LBA is also written cyclically to this double write buffer. So effectively, you get a huge amount of invalidation for this region. So, uh, so it's basically out, out of, uh, am I understood? So, so the same range of LBAs are written over and over again. Yeah. Uh, for if, if, take, take for example one gigabyte of writes to the main storage. Right. You get one gigabyte of writes also for those twenty megabyte of uh, of uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's never so just the the last twenty megabyte of the of the, out of the one gigabyte is written to the uh, is written to the disk. So if I'm understanding correctly, is that okay. the controller is absorbing the overhead? Yes, yes because it, it is overwritten. This is the reason. 
Yeah, okay. I, I, get, I get the overridden stuff, but at some point that 20 megabytes of data has to be written back yes. to the SSDs, right? Of I course, mean, of course. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that we're just not writing the, the we're not doing the, we're not, the the inefficiency that causes the latency. And we've talked about this in other like super high performance block storage is that when you're looking at it from a OS perspective and you're doing writes and the OS has crust, crust when or overhead uh, when doing writes that creates latency and then the disk itself has the disk protocol itself has overhead which causes latency you guys are cutting out that latency at the disk layer so I still have the and correct me if I'm wrong I still have the overhead from my OS file system when I'm using the block API yes yes the file system so, uh, so you're absolutely correct of course, we, so we have, uh, if, again, taking uh, the, the example of uh, WRI just uh, for the sake of the discussion, uh, we have uh, two modes for that. One is the automatic uh, removal. In, in that case, indeed, as you, as you mentioned, uh, the, the file system part is still uh, doing the, the same amount of writes exactly as before. But I, I, uh, I cut down by... You, a huge factor the traffic to the disk uh, we have also i mentioned that we have also a, a write atomicity support which allows us to to eliminate the double write altogether because double write is a mechanism that was intended to uh, to protect again against uh, uh, ripped uh, blocks in case of sudden power down when we're part of the of the between node is updated and the part is not it's still not updated but if we provide rather atomicity uh, we can make double write totally redundant uh, the point is that uh, you, you need uh, you need to get support for that uh, uh, from At the protocol level yeah. yes exactly and so we can get almost so we've done measurements for conventional operation operation with no double write with our write atomicity and the one with the automatic uh, removal of course the best performance we get from double write elimination but we are, we are coming very close to that also with the automatic uh, detection uh, of the uh, transient writes transient yes. data kinds of things these temporary overridden data left and right and stuff like that so i agree with you that we don't get the entire game but you did very good. And if I wanted the ultimate performance, I just bypass the file system and use the uh, the API to uh, to get an example of the res DB to get the ultimate performance. Yeah, if you want key value API associated solution. And 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 I can see this easily being more than just uh, a Redis DB type of application. Anything. Any application that I can write a driver for to access uh, the key value store to uh, uh, get and put data would also uh, have the same performance advantages. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. The nice thing about, I guess, RocksDB is that it's, it's a fairly widely used solution at that level. And, and because they're already there, it's, it's relatively easy and painless to, to plug that into this device mm -hmm. so 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 back to the block stuff again so you're 
destaging slowly the data that's that's transiently written over and over again that's easy you're also compressing um the data so what's being written to the to the physical ssds are variable length blocks is that what's going on or are you are you packing those variable length blocks into physical blocks and so you must have some sort of a almost a, a flash translation layer inside the plyops board right because you're getting you're getting an LBA write or read, and but what's actually written on the SSDs is variable length segments, right? Um, so, of course, for to the SSD itself, we write in in complete LBAs uh, because this is the way you need to write to 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 SSD. More than that, we we buffer a, a large amount of of writes because again because we have this uh, memory backed uh, and you are, uh, and we, and in this staging phase, we write it uh, to the SSDs in in very large uh, batches. So, uh, and as and you said absolutely correct. We have we have our own kind of uh, of FTL like uh, structure, which is actually the key value index. Because if you look at at, at even at and even simple uh, block. Uh, mapping is a specific case of the more generic key value interface because eventually the LBA is the key and the block is the value. So if you have this uh, highly versatile, uh, versatile and, uh, and powerful key value engine, it's some sort of FTL if you think about that. It just has much more capabilities. So you can use compression very easily with almost no, no work that is easy to be done. Uh, uh, you can, this is for block. Yeah, I mean, but the challenge is you've got to write the data into the physical SSD in a, in a, for, uh, a fashion that it accepts, which is a physical block. And, and you know, for, for some of these devices, um, they would like real large physical blocks. I mean, QLC, I'm thinking megabytes or something like that, right? You're right in several gigabytes. You write in gigabytes for the uh, and and even that if you if you look at on, only at, the, uh, at that part it's not enough because they raise units on the SSDs on certain models uh, for Micron uh, NAND for example and it's huge the, the raise unit itself is around gigabyte so if you if you work over four SSDs for example uh, and you strap the data over four SSDs each of them get about five hundred megabyte. If you just look at that, if I write a random 500 megabyte blocks to SSD, you will still get write amplification inside the SSD. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm even, I will make life harder for myself. So, uh, but, but the point is that part of the, the, the layout algorithm that we have, we, we, we use some sort of, uh, how to call it, uh, some sort of, of bin of, of bin packing algorithm where right. we, we give priority we, we try to on uh, the word uh, to make large sequences of 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 L, of LBA range of blocks invalidated on the same time so if I chose a certain range of 500 megabyte of I'm talking about one SSD here uh, when I'm walking over four SSDs just for example so if I'm if I chose a certain 500 megabyte region 
for over for override that is invalidation if you look from the ssd perspective internally there is invalidation for 500 megabyte then i tend to choose a adjacent 500 megabyte for the next part and i so i'm balancing i'm, I'm balancing between my write amplification and the uh, in, internal amplification of the ssd to get optimal results so this is what this algorithm uh, uh, aimed to do so overall for measurements either from random of course for random which is very easy and also for a uh, skewed for hot code workload we get write amplification on the disk in the range between 1 to 1.14 we measure this is the level of internal write amplification that we measure for uh, from the from the from the disk itself so this algorithm allows us to, to work over conventional SSD and get very low internal amplification with no, with, with no substantial increase in our write amplification. Uh, actually, we started by using a, a Cinex Labs uh, uh, open channel SSD because we wanted at the beginning of our journey, we wanted to control, uh, to control the exact placement to, in order to, to guarantee no run amplification uh, inside the SSD, but uh, back then there was a huge hype for open channel SSD, and we hoped that it were going to to conquer the world and be prevalent. But eventually, uh, it wasn't be this case. So uh, we, we anticipate that uh, relatively early and 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 moved to from open channel SSDs to conventional SSDs, and then we put this algorithm in place, and we managed to get. Uh, uh, the same performance even from conventional SSDs. By the way, the new ZNS SSDs are uh, uh, excellent candidates for us for, for the exact for the same reason. Mm -hmm. So by by reducing the write amplification at the SSD, you can um, a increase the endurance, right, and, and b actually increase maybe physical capacity. I mean, obviously compression increases the logical capacity of the of the SSD. But um, yeah, a lot of SSDs have certain amount of buffer that they they allocate for you know just amplified and writes and stuff like that. I, I don't know if it's on the order of twenty percent. In some cases, it might even be larger. So they might say that they have one terabyte of of uh, SSD capacity, but in reality, they have one point two terabytes of physical NAND capacity. Um, but they're only showing the one terabyte. Is that so? Are you? Are you somehow reducing that as well, or is that just the way the conventional SSDs work? Um... Uh, great question. Uh, actually, this is one was one of the reasons that we wanted to work with open channel SSDs, and now with the SSD because you get the entire capacity for yourself, and you don't uh, rely on the, the internal uh, garbage collection mechanism. Uh, and and if the SSD uh, is is right optimized for example and has this 20 percent internal over provisioning of course there is nothing that we can do for that part uh, it's a wasted uh, capacity from our perspective this is why we recommend our customer to use the cheapest ssd that they can uh, get their hands on uh, typically there are uh, even enterprise grade uh, ssds and of course data center grade ssds you get a lot of those with seven percent op which is uh, which is much lower than the 20% that uh, you mentioned. Which, uh, so we, rec we recommend customer to use the lowest uh, the, the, the lowest cost SSD that they can have because we don't really need 
this internal OP. We don't need and we can compensate for that. Uh, we, we had several discussions with the vendors. It's, it's possible theoretically, but uh, again, we want to, to be able to sell actual products. So uh, we, don't have, we don't have support for, uh, uh, for such uh, SSDs with less, than, uh, with less OP than specified. So you mentioned encryption as well. So you provide, um, a, where, where are the keys for something like that maintained? If you're encrypting the data on the SSDs and would they be encrypted with the same key across all the, the SSDs that you control? We have one, one center, uh, one uh, uh, a secret key uh, that is, uh, that it, 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 this is something that is, uh, it's not a, uh, it's not novel and innovative, it's, it's conventional. We have one key, internal uh, uh, root of trust key that used to encrypt user keys. Uh, and, and user keys, uh, you can get, uh, we expose multiple uh, uh, namespaces or in, in the key value, we call it names, uh, uh, instances. So we can get different encryption key from the user for each uh, database. Well, I have one single master key to encrypt those keys. Yes, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, key metadata is sitting on the card only, or is it sitting on the back end as well? Or is this something that's that's paged in and out, or is it something that you try to retain complete access to it on the board? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, one of the benefits of our indexing scheme is it's extremely low memory footprint. Take for example, conventional SSD. Conventional SSD, as you know, requires around 0.1% uh, DRAM to, to SSD ratio in order to store the, the simple fixed size FTL uh, mapping. So you need about four bytes per LBA. This is typically the, the number. Uh, in our case, we need half this number. We need around on average two bytes per object while supporting a variable size uh, a block. So actually, it's basically key value. Uh, so uh, this is why we can, we can enjoy from caching the entire metadata in DRAM with no need for, uh, you know, for paging, as you mentioned, uh, either in writes or uh, do, do index read uh, during read. And it can get very high and consistent performance and low latencies and, and low, low tail latencies. So let me just try to understand. Summarizing that number one, you you accelerate any key value database that would use RocksDB and 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 could accelerate any key value database that doesn't, as long as they're willing to to utilize your API. Is that then that's correct, right? And even if you decide not to use a key value database API approach, even if you're just using normal SSD block access, you also offer performance and capacity and security. Yes, exactly. And the last FMS, for example, we demonstrated uh, some of our gains uh, to MongoDB to, with the block API, with the simple block API. MongoDB, uh, MySQL, MariaDB. What about high availability and stuff like that? So a lot of these, you know, some of these databases, I guess, because they're in memory, they don't necessarily aren't necessarily high availability solutions. But 
you know, some of the more enterprise sorts, sorts of activity and stuff requires high availability. Do, do you provide multiple PlyOps boards in that case? or? So currently not. Uh, it's a good question. As you said, it, it, we generally get those requests for more uh, enterprise uh, kind of customers uh, or for because you can look at our solution also as some sort of backend for storage, uh, for even for external storage uh, uh, services or product, because we just taking take care of the entire backend part. We, we do seamless compression, erasure coding, all the stuff. So on, on those parts of collaboration that we engage with, we, we, the, the issue of high availability was right. This is not something. That, this is something that with our current version we don't provide. There is no problem to provide it in terms of our architecture, but we didn't uh, have the chance to to productize that yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we rely on on other parts of the system to do the availability. Right. For example, if you look at MongoDB, we have clustering of MongoDB. I don't need to I don't need to to do have anything. any initial support internally for that. I I, I see. Um, God, there was another question. What was it? Erasure coding. So are you using like RAID six, two drive failures, or 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 RAID five, one drive failure kinds of things. Is that what you're calling erasure coding, or? Yes, uh, we're using RAID six with the capability to reconstruct the data from half. In case of single uh, a disk failure, we can reconstruct the data from half of the stripe, uh, which improves uh, improve performance uh, in integrated mode. Uh, I think that. The main thing in erasure coding or RAID, for that matter, yeah, is the performance uh, in degraded mode. Because if you look at conventional RAID solutions, RAID 5 or RAID 6 solution, there is a penalty in normal life performance, but this is not the main problem with, with those solutions. Uh, the main problem is uh, what is, what happens to the performance when you are in degraded mode, when you have You're this rebuilding the, the data, yeah, exactly. In that case, you see a huge decrease in performance, and your server is for, for modern data centers, uh, your server is as good as dead uh, because it barely it's not responsive at all for extended period, periods of time. This is why many customers just abandon the 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 red option and, and relies on on other levels of on. Uh, of replication and clustering and things like that. This is why if you look at recommendation of Datastack for Cassandra and MongoDB, they all recommend you to use RAID 0 or JBOF mode, uh, uh, mode, exactly because of this reason, because of the performance. And in the case of uh, our, our relational coding excels in that, that even during Rebid, we also demonstrated that in last FMS, uh, even during Rebid, we have around 10%, less than 10% degradation in the application performance during rebuild. And uh, so it's not just providing similar uh, RAID 5, RAID 6 capabilities. It's about the performance of our solution. And uh, and, and, and this is where we really make a difference with, uh, between uh, conventional solutions and our solution. So I guess the, as we start to wrap up and we bring this up level, um, a lot of geeky stuff, a lot of stuff I didn't understand. I would be honest with you. The Some of it, I think the overall concept I, I get, I think one of the big questions, especially as movement shifts from bare metal to consuming 
even in-memory database via uh, cloud services. And I know you mentioned the cloud providers earlier. How are you guys going to market with this solution as bare metal becomes a little less appealing to uh, organizations other than hyperscalers? Uh, talking about virtualization? VMs? No, not just virtualization. So if I'm vacating my data center and I just don't have access to the bare metal to throw this into a system, are you guys yeah. partnering with cloud providers? How can I consume? So are you are you going after the hyperscaler market, for instance, as a as a, a supplier to that market? Because a lot of the a lot of the hardware is moving out of the data center into the cloud. Yes, so hyperscalers uh, certainly uh, is our first engagements. Uh, also, what we call the superscalers, the, the co companies that have capabilities, uh, internal capabilities uh, to, to support such solution. Uh, if, if you're asking if you're approaching uh, traditional enterprise uh, companies, this is on our plans, but uh, our uh, main success is with hyperscalers and superscalers. I got you. So you really are, you're not going at the data center per se as much as you're going at these hyperscalers and superscalers from a market perspective. And that, and I'm glad to hear that because that makes a lot of sense to me uh, for consuming this type of environment. I see customers moving away, uh, individual enterprises moving away from adding specialty hardware. But if this specialty hardware is maintained, is sold to and maintained by the hyperscalers, it makes it much more appealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been great. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Keith, any last questions for Moshe? No, I think this is a really neat solution to a problem that's really difficult to crack, especially as we look at not having access to bare metal hardware anymore. And uh, practical problems with, like, the Linux kernel isn't changing anytime uh, fast to and, and with any kind of skill to solve the cruft that we have with file systems and writing to storage. So I'm happy to see that they've embraced RocksDB and and uh, Block as well. It's a really, really interesting solution. Mm -hmm. Moshe, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close? Yeah, no, just thank you very much for the opportunity to, to chat with you. I enjoyed very much. And, uh... Okay. Thank you very much, Moshe, for being on our show today. And that's it for now. Bye, Keith. Bye, Ray. And bye, Moshe. Until next time. Yeah, bye-bye. Next time, we will talk to the system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out. 